of Mark, Mark chapter number 6. We're continuing our studies on the incidences of praying in the life of Jesus Christ in order that uh, we might learn uh, from his incidences of praying, that we might become uh, prayer uh, warriors. Again, I know this COVID has kind of knocked off our theme for this year, but our theme is, is uh, be the church in prayer, amen. And our emphasis was, was be and has been and is going to continue to be on this matter of, of being a praying uh, church. Let's look here in Mark chapter number 6. We'll read a couple of verses as we get started, as we think of uh, this uh, thought of uh, Christ's commitment to prayer, Christ's commitment to prayer. Mark chapter 6, we begin reading in verse number 45, if I haven't already told you, and we'll read down through verse number 52. We're also going to be looking at a parallel passage of Scripture. Uh, you don't have to turn there when we, when we, when we go there, but that would be Mark uh, chapter number, Matt, excuse me, Matthew chapter number 14 as well. So let's read here in Mark chapter number 6, begin reading in verse 45. And straight away he constrained his disciples to get into the ship and to go to the other side before into Bethsaida. And while he sent away the people, and when he had sent them away, he departed into a mountain to pray. And when evening was come, the ship was in the midst of the sea, and he alone on the land. And he saw them toiling and rowing, for the wind was contrary unto them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he cometh unto them, walking upon the sea, and would have uh, passed them by. But when they saw him walking upon the sea, they supposed it had it been a spirit, and cried out. For they all saw him, and were troubled. And immediately he talked with them, and saith unto them, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. And he went up into the mountain, uh, excuse me, and he went up, Unto them into the ship, and the wind ceased, and they were sore amazed in themselves beyond measure, and wondered, for this, for they consider not the miracle of loaves, for their heart uh, was hardened. Father, we come before you uh, today, Lord, and I pray, Lord, that you would uh, just bless this time of preaching and teaching of your word. Father, as we think about your son's commitment to prayer, Lord, I pray that we would have this same commitment in our life as well. So, Lord, we just love you, and we do thank you, for it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Jesus Christ was committed to prayer. If you can say a lot of things about the Lord, you can definitely add this to the list of things that you can definitely say about the Lord. He was committed to prayer. And this commitment is seen in the importance that he gave to prayer. Christ would take the time uh, for lengthy seasons and lengthy sessions of prayer before he would take care of his own physical needs and his own material needs. He would pray be even uh, before uh, partaking of food, uh, that food that was needed to nourish his body. And his commitment to prayer uh, gave it a priority over most of you and I sitting here today. And I want us to, to think on this thought of his commitment to prayer. And when we leave these doors tonight, I want us to have this same kind of commitment that Christ uh, did to prayer in our lives as well. Well, this incident of, of praying recorded in the scriptures occurred shortly before the feeding of the 5,000, just prior to his miracle of walking on and then stilling uh, the storm. Notice, first of all, tonight, the prompting of the prayer, the prompting of his prayer. As we think about what prompted him to prayer, I think this thought comes to my mind. First of all, his schedule. And in the context of this prayer, we notice that Christ really had been very extremely busy. In the past few days, he's been thronged with crowds on both sides of the Sea of Galilee. It didn't matter where he went. 
Crowds surrounded him. Crowds uh, thronged him. S.D. Gordon, in his commentary, The Quiet Talks on Prayer, writes this. Both he and the disciples have been kept exceedingly busy with the great throngs coming and going incessantly. You see, they were trying to get away from the crowds here. And Jesus Christ went by boat to the east side of the Sea of Galilee. But the crowds, seeing him leaving, went around the other side of the lake and waited for him to come. So the plan really didn't work. Let's look in Mark 6, verse 32 and verse number 33. The Bible says, And they departed into a desert place by ship privately, and the people saw him departing, and many knew him, and ran afoot thither out of the cities, and outwent out them, and came together unto him. So we find that, that wherever Jesus Christ went, they just thronged him. They just compassed him. They just wanted to be where he was. And, and we could say it's because they loved the Lord and they wanted him to be the Messiah. But probably at this point in his ministry, that was probably the farthest thing from people's mind. He was doing miracles. He was a miracle worker. And he was doing all kinds of things people haven't never seen before. And so they were engrossed by Jesus Christ. So instead of uh, turning the crowds away, we find that he patiently taught them and eventually he fed the 5,000. It was a very busy and tiring day prior to his going to the mountain. It wasn't like he just woke up as we saw before and went out early to go pray. He had a busy day. He, he had a busy, busy day. He talked to people and preached the gospel and fed the 5,000. And so he had a very busy and a very tiring day. Uh, Robert Tuck in his commentary writes this, In some sense, it was the very hardest day of his active ministry. And just like in the messages that we've looked at already in Christ's incidents of prayer, Jesus Christ never put prayer on the back burner because he was tired. Boy, if we just stop right there, probably all of us would come under great conviction in that area. How many times have we forgone praying or maybe started to pray for just a few moments and then we were fast asleep or or, our mind drifted off somewhere else? You see, Christ's example to us is even if we are, 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 are too busy to hardly even have a time to breathe, and that's the way Christ and the disciples were, we still need to take that time to pray. Instead of praying less during those busy times, guess what? We ought to take time to pray more. It seems like an oxymoron, but listen, the less time you have to pray, the more time you need to take to pray. I can attest to that in my own, uh, in my own walk with the Lord. Unfortunately, for, for a majority of people today, that most times, busyness keeps us from prayer. So here we go. We have a busy life. Things are going on. The devil throws his kinks in our life and our flesh throws our kinks in and people throw their kinks in our life. But listen, there's usually one time that you can at least set aside to pray if you turn your phone off is when you're driving to work. I cannot think of a better time to pray than when you're driving to work. Even if it's just 10 minutes, even if it's 15 minutes, you say, I already prayed. I already did my devotions for the day and I had a season of prayer. I can't help but think of a better time for you to pray. Turn the radio off, turn off Pandora on your cell phone and just have a quiet time of prayer. Maybe if it would help you, you could put on, uh, you could put on some just instrumental music uh, on your CD player or something like that. I find that helps me as well. But unfortunately, most people today and most 
Christians today, really, when they get busy, they just forego prayer, forego their time with the Lord, and depend on their own flesh. Thank God that Jesus didn't do that. When prompting of the prayer, we find that he had a busy schedule. He, needed, he knew he needed to pray, but then something else notices safety. This matter of safety involved two different things. It involved, first of all, a physical need, but then it also involved a spiritual matter. Physically, the, the people uh, wanted to take Jesus Christ and make him his king. We're not going to turn there, but in John chapter 6 and verse 15, we find these words. When Jesus therefore, therefore perceived that they would come and take him by force to make him king, notice what he said, he departed again into a mountain himself alone. So after he fed the 5,000, guess what? The people got excited. Listen, people get excited about a lot of different things, but you start feeding people, and my friend, they're going to get excited. I mean, they're thinking, well, I won't have to work anymore. We got a man that could just feed us. He fed all these 5,000 men, plus women and plus children. And so uh, they said, listen, we're going to take him by force if necessary, and we're going to make him the king over the nation of Israel. And so uh, we could say this, they were ready at that moment, even early in his ministry, to have a revolt against the Roman government. And that's why uh, come down to the end of the life of Jesus Christ, when he rode on that donkey down in Jerusalem, they were, they were waving their palm leaves and laying the branches down and their robes down and making him the king. And so we see even early on, they were desiring to make him a king because they thought that Jesus would lead a revolt against the Roman government. Well, the physical peril was also accompanied by a spiritual peril. You say, what was the spiritual peril? Well, the spiritual peril was this, was that if they made Jesus Christ king right then, they'd have to sidestep the cross of Jesus Christ. And that spiritual peril was greater than the physical peril. And so understand this, that Jesus Christ could not and would not uh, sidestep the cross of Jesus Christ. And the offer to, uh, to be the king by sidestepping uh, the cross really, I believe, was a, a subtle temptation from none other than Satan himself. And basically it would go like this, say, you can can be the king, I'll make you the king right now. You don't have to die, you don't have to go to the cross. Listen, I'll make you the king, you can rule and reign, and you can be your happy, merry person. The feeding of the 5,000 is what prompted the desire for the people uh, to make Jesus Christ their king. A.T. Robertson in his commentary said this, There is nothing that has so appealed to the masses in all countries, in all centuries, as the ability to furnish plenty to eat. Literally, tens of thousands of the human race fall asleep every night hungry. So here, at once, is the at once it is proposed by a great popular uprising under the leadership of a wonderful man as a king to throw off the oppressive Roman yoke. Certainly, if only his consent uh, could be had, it would be immensely successful, or so they thought. But does this not rank with Satan's suggestion in the wilderness of establishing the kingdom without suffering? It was a a temptation, but thank God no response was found from Christ. You see, as I thought about this, what Christ went through, both the spiritual peril and the physical peril, prayer during times of spiritual perils will help us keep us focused and protect us. You see, we have a tendency to lose our focus on God. 
And we have a tendency to focus on man and other solutions to our problem. And, and, but when we are focused on God and that through prayer we focus on God, it protects us and it helps us to stay focused on God. And guess what? It will keep us from being swept over by the emotions and the desires of the crowd. See, if it would have been you and I in, in the place of the Lord, and we were able to feed the 5,000, they said, we're going to make you a king. We would have said, all right, yeah, I always wanted to be a king. I don't have to go to the cross of Calvary. And so many times that we're not laser-focused on God and our walk with Him and our relationship with Him. And as a result of that, oftentimes our emotions get overrun by the desires of the crowd. You know, how many times you can think back in your own personal life when you made a decision and you made a decision because you felt like the crowd, or let me say your family, or your co-workers, or your spouse thought that was the best outcome for it, and you felt pressured to do it, and you just did it. And then you look back and say, oh my, I made a mistake doing that. Well, we find that by having, uh, by being focused on our prayer, it keeps us from allowing our emotions uh, to succumb to the desires of those around us. You see, Satan would have loved to get us off the path. He, loved, he would have loved to get Jesus Christ off the path that led to Calvary. He wants to do that for you and I. But prayer will give us, guess what, the right perspective to see God's will in matters that are coming up before us. You know, I said it over and over again that oftentimes when, when uh, Christians come into matters of great importance in their life, they don't spend time in prayer. They don't get alone. They don't go to the mountain as the Lord Jesus Christ did. They don't get up early. And what they do is they, they stand up and, oh, here's a quarter. And they go, okay, heads or tails, Lord, what am I going to do? And that's basically what they do. And they weigh it out, the pros and the cons, and I'm not against doing that. But I, what I'm simply saying is simply this, is that what God's will is, that's what we want to do. And so when we make decisions in our life, prayer will give us that right perspective to see God's will in, in the matter. And I, I charge the young people uh, again and again and again. It, you, listen, you can be whatever you want to be as long as that's what God's will is for your life. It doesn't really matter what you want to be as long as it's what God wants you to be. And you'll be the most miserable people in the world, uh, person in the world, if you do what you want and it's not what God has for your life. You know, and, and God's not some ogre up in heaven that wants to take away uh, the joy out of your life. He does. He's not a kill joy up in heaven. And oftentimes, God's will will mess with your desires. But here's the thing. You ought to pray this. God, show me your will. Show me your desire. Then guess what? Whatever God's will is, it will become your desire. And then you'll be happy no matter what it is, even if it's not uh, what you had thought. Sometimes I think that that in our, in our prayer mode that we get to this time of praying, getting the right perspective on God's will, I think sometimes like this, it will clean the, the dirt, so to speak, off our spiritual glasses. I told you before, and I'm kind of a phobe with clean glasses. I can't stand one little speck on my glasses. And the other day, Benjamin 
uh, I was uh, holding Benjamin, and he, you know, he likes glasses, I guess. And he got my glasses and my reading glasses, and they're kind of bendy little things, not these ones I wear here. And so I didn't think he could really hurt them. He was playing with them, and he's having a wonderful time on them. And, and I thought, I'm going to have to get some wipes out of the car before I put those things back on. Then he started putting them in his mouth, trying to get that molar way back there. And I said, I don't think that's a good idea. And, but I, I'm simply saying this, that sometimes that when we try to seek God's will, we need to clean off the spiritual dirt off of our glasses so we can see the right path that God has uh, laid out for us. And then uh, notice quickly, and then we'll be done, uh, as we think about the prompting of, of the prayer, his schedule prompted the prayer, his own personal safety prompted the prayer, and notice this, his strength. You see, at this point, no doubt, Jesus Christ needed physical strength, but he also needed spiritual strength. And listen, we're, we're no different as well. There's times that we need physical strength, and there's times that we need spiritual strength, and there's times that we need both. We're drained of both physical and spiritual strength. If you ever... I taught a Sunday school lesson or did a junior church or preached a message or really took a, a fervent time of studying God's Word. When you get done doing that, when you get done letting out all that God has placed upon your heart, listen, you're not only spiritually wore out, I can tell you from personal experience that you're physically wore out. You say, it might not seem like much. All you do is stand for about 45 minutes and speak a few words and flap your jaw. How could you be tired? I'm telling you sometimes that the spiritual work that you do wears you down physically. And also the physical work that you have to do, I think of Pastor Tim and others that work outside on a daily basis. And man, I, I don't know how you do it. They'd say, I guess you get used to it and you can build up to it, but you never really totally get used to it. But that physical work can tear your body down and t- tear your spirit down, so to speak, that when you go home, you're not want to do the, the things necessary for the spiritual side. Robert Tucker in the public commentary said this, He wrote this, Jesus must have been utterly exhausted and needed some soothing, healing balm. Where could he get it? He knew. He shows us the place of soothing. Get this, it was the place of prayer. You see, prayer would strengthen Christ spiritually. It was the spiritual strength that he needed most of all. Did he need to eat? He probably did need to eat. No doubt he probably needed to eat. But it's a spiritual strength when he needed more than a physical strength to fight the forces of evil and physically enable him for the task ahead. That's why if you're not spiritually prepared, I don't care if you're physically prepared, you're not going to be able to handle that task. And our mistake is this, is that we wake up in the morning and we prepare physically for the day. Maybe you have about 10 cups of coffee or a pot of coffee, or maybe you stop at Starbucks and get a double latte, cappuccino, fat, skinny, and everything else that goes with it, and pay them $10 for it. Uh, Maybe you eat oatmeal or cereal or something along that matter, and you prepare physically. But I'm telling if you have a choice between physical and spiritual, listen, unless you're a diabetic and you're going to crash out or something, listen, spiritual uh, is the thing that ought to take place uh, first before uh, anything else in our life. If we don't get spiritual refreshment, all the physical rest in the world is not going to do us very much good. And it's 
not something that's easy to do because you know why? Our flesh has ways to remind us. Our stomach growls. We get headaches if we get low on water or, or too, you know, we need some food or we need some sugar or we need that caffeine uh, along the way. But if we're going to win any spiritual battles, guess what? We must refresh ourselves in prayer. Well, the Lord's commitment to prayer We saw tonight the prompting of prayer. When we meet again, we'll take a look at the second part of this Bible study, and we'll see the place of prayer. Let's pray.